unrelated to Tom Camp, but um, it's Clay Camp is the last name, and I was stuck with it. Great to be here. It's a tremendous time. I was the first time here last year and just witnessed that fellowship. And I've been at different kinds of uh, places, you know, for, for conferences, but I want to tell you that there's a, a special dynamic here that's different than, than some of the other conferences I've been at. I'm not, I'm not naming them because this is recorded. <laughs> so, but I want to tell you this is just an awesome group. And, you know, about 30 years ago, we started out as a home Bible study up in the north part of Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, the church grew and, and uh, you know, we sent out a lot of churches over the years. And, and then last year, the Lord uh, worked a magnificent work. And my uh, our second son, this is my wife Jeannie over here, wife of over 40, 41 years. And... We turned the church, transitioned the church over to our second son, Jesse, who's uh, 37, 38. And it was just a, a natural time of uh, praying about the next generation at the Lord Terry's, praying about bringing in um, someone younger to, to carry the church through the next decade and or two at the Lord Terry's. And, and uh, for us to be able to make ourselves available to go around and minister to other senior pastors and their wives, uh, just to encourage, to come alongside, provide perspective, set a fresh eyes into their ministry situation. It's not that we've experienced everything, but it's, you know, we've heard a lot of things over 30 years and watched a lot of things go down. And so it's, it's a joy that we're a part of this ministry called poimen, which is a Greek word for shepherd, poimen. And our heart is not to come in with a template and tell a person what to do, but just to come alongside and listen and hear the heart of the pastor, and especially my wife ministering to the pastor's wife. Because the pastor's wife seems to be sometimes uh, not focused on in the whole process of what's going on in a church situation. And since we left last year, left our church, every single weekend has been busy going here and there all over the place, even even over in the UK for a bit. And uh, it, it's just been wonderful. And the one thing that I have noticed as a common denominator, it's not so much that somebody's doing something wrong or, or not in the right way and that's why their church isn't growing or whatever. It's just that you can get discouraged in the ministry because you labor and you labor and you labor and just when you think you're starting to grow, people move away. And all of a sudden, you're left with, with the complainers. And you're going, this isn't what I signed up for. But it is what you signed up for. And so, you know, God has called you to love those people. And so just to, to pray with them, to find out the vision that's in their heart. What did God put in their heart? Let's, let's find that. Let's follow that. And let's see that played out in the church that God has, has put you in and has put you over as his under-shepherd. And you know, there's a lot of support people here, people from uh, those churches that just are so blessed by their pastor. They, those pastors need your prayer more than anything. It's not so much that they need all your suggestions. <laughs> it's just that they need your prayer 
Because sometimes you can only hear from the Lord what you're supposed to do with the next step. And sometimes you've made steps of faith and you have second thoughts after you've made those steps. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Or it's afternoon. It's morning in Phoenix. We're going to talk about second thoughts after steps of faith. And we're going to look at a a faithful man who served the Lord many years, who hides. We need to understand that God uses us as a witness to the next generation. And you go, well, I want to see it in my lifetime. Well, it's possible you may not see it in your lifetime. But the idea, I'm sorry, but the idea is glorifying God so that when you are before the throne, you see the fruit of serving the Lord and you hear that well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I want to hear that, don't you? Because that's what it all boils down to. Jeremiah was a faithful man, called as a young man, faithfully carried out his ministry over a 40-year period with not one convert. Was he a failure? No, he was faithful. Because in God's eyes, true success is faithfulness to what he has commanded Not what some book tells you to do. Not what some template says you have to follow to be successful. Not some business model. But what the Lord has laid upon your heart to do, you be faithful to that. That's true success. And gang, there are times when you step out in faith to do what God's put upon your heart and it just does not turn out like you'd hoped. And you think, did I miss the Lord? Well, Jeremiah has those second thoughts. We're going to dive into chapter 32 and consider that, especially in the application of our own life today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to minister to us from this text. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you understand what we've been through what we're going through right now, and what is in the future. And Lord, we thank you that you're way ahead of us and that nothing is too hard for you. And so, Lord, minister to us this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are those times, no matter how long you've walked in the Lord, where the Lord begins to speak to your heart that you need to take a fresh step of faith. Something maybe you haven't done before. You don't have really a life experience, you know, that you can relate to, but, but there's an impression on your heart and it's been confirmed gradually over time and, and there's circumstances that are pointing to it and, and you have this sense, you know what, it, it is time to take a fresh step of faith. And God ministers to you to take, to take this step and you're going, well, I, you know, I don't quite understand why, but, but the impression is just so strong. I, I know, I can sense that it's, it's your direction for me. It's what Jeremiah had here in this chapter. 
He had been prophesying for 39 years and nobody responded. As a matter of fact, they threw him in the slammer. And now the king that was ruling over Judah has hardened his heart completely to the word of the Lord. The Babylonian army has come around and surrounded the city of Jerusalem, taken all the major cities of of Judah captive. And the king is still hardening his heart. It's unbelievable. And Jeremiah is, is put in the court of the prison of the king's house to watch it all go down, kind of like a box seat to watch it all go down. And there were siege mounds already being built up against the wall. This word of the Lord came to him in the tenth year of Zedekiah, and he had less than twelve months before it would all be destroyed. And it was at that time that the word of the Lord came to him. So follow along with me. The first five verses gives you the setting. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah king of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah king of Judah had shut him up saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and shall see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Strong word. Jeremiah was one of the most self-revealing prophets and and men of God that we find in the Old Testament. He writes down the trials that he went through during his ministry, which in a way is encouraging. Because sometimes we can think that we're supposed to be the pillar of strength and and, and always have this positive outlook and, and never deal with the realities of what's going inside. And there are times as pastors where we have to come to our congregation and say, this is a difficult time for our congregation. And a lot of us are are having trials in our jobs. Maybe we've lost our jobs. We're losing our homes. And we have to band together. and, and, And I myself, you know, I'm asking for the Lord to give us direction as a church. I don't know right now. And so let's let's come together and let's pray and let's seek God's strategy for right now, for the next step of faith. That starts opening your life to your congregation and saying, you know what, I'm one of you and we're in this together. And we'll make it and we'll hang on to the Lord together. So here's Jeremiah in the midst of this. And it's at this time in the in the ninth or in the tenth year, one year before the whole city is going to be collapsed, that the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. Verse six. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is an anathoth, for the right of inheritance or redemption is yours to buy it. This was a strange word from the Lord because Anathoth was in Chaldean control now. Anathoth was his hometown. 
Jeremiah was a priest. And it's kind of like your cousin coming to you and wanting you to buy swampland in Florida. Well, who's going to go out and appraise it anyway? I mean, it's, you know, it's in Chaldean control. But it was the word of the Lord that came to him saying, listen, your cousin's going to come to you there in the prison and says, hey, I've got a business deal you can't refuse. And sure enough, in verse 8, then Hanamil, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that's an anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Think about that last sentence. Jeremiah had heard the word of the Lord for 39 years. He knew what the word of the Lord was was like to his heart. But this was one of the strangest words he had ever gotten from the Lord. I want you to buy this swamp land. I want you to buy this worthless piece of property that happens to be with you the next in line. He says, then I knew it was the word of the Lord. Sometimes God gives us promptings and leadings. And we, we, we sense that it's the word of the Lord, but we need to wait for confirmation. And God will send that confirmation. And so even Jeremiah, even though he knew that there was that prompting, he, he waited for the confirmation as the Lord put together the details. And that happens in our life as well. As God begins to stir our hearts for new areas of ministry, new, new ways to reach out, new ways to make connections with those that are unsaved, we wait on the Lord and we say, Lord, I ask you to send some confirmations. Are, are you having a lack of faith? No. It's part of how God works in our life. It's okay. God knows us. Really, it doesn't matter how long you've walked in the Lord. We're really only like preschoolers to the Lord. You know, just because we don't color in the lines, you know, we think God's pretty upset with us. He's just glad that we're even trying. I mean, he's glad that we're in his kingdom and we stepped out in faith and offered to serve him. And he knows we don't have the ability. It has to be his ability. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. So here's Jeremiah. He gets this word from the Lord. Your cousin's coming to you and going to offer you this land and I want you to buy it. So, sure enough, he comes walking in prison. And here he is. I bet his cousin thought he was really making a shrewd business deal. Like, this Jeremiah's such a loser, you know. He's in prison. He hasn't, he's so clueless. He should have been put out long ago. But you know what? If I can make a buck, I'll make a buck. The land can't be appraised. It's in Chaldean control. But hey, if you'd like to have a piece of choice land, I got some. Kind of a used car salesman. So, verse 9. So I bought the field. Kind of like buying the farm, you know. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was an anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. You think Jeremiah had a bunch of cash there in prison? I don't think so. And so this kind of you know, emptied out his coffers, you might say. And I signed the deed and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open, 
And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. So this step of faith was done in full sight of everybody, and I am kind of guessing that everybody thought Jeremiah was a sucker. But sometimes when the word of the Lord comes to you, all you can do is be obedient to it, even though people say, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? But you know, between you and the Lord, you, you, you just have to do that step. You've got to take that step. And people watch. And they snicker. And so in verse 13, Then I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Jeremiah knew from all the prophecies over those previous 39 years, that God was going to bring his people back. And that this somehow tied in with this. He got the word of the Lord, definitely this has to do with what's going to happen in the future generation when I'm not going to be here. And so he emptied out his coffer. He bought the property. And here he is with a piece of paper that's worthless. And then he goes to the Lord. And you've got to understand, verses 16 to 25 is Jeremiah trying to reconcile what just went down with the dealings in his own heart. Here's what he says. Now when he had delivered the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, oh, Lord God. I want you to know that that statement, Ah, Lord God, is a statement that occurs four times in the book of Jeremiah and four times in the book of Ezekiel. It's a statement of being at the end of yourself. It's a statement of coming to a place where you say, I can't wrap my mind around what is just going on right now. It's not going, uh, Lord God, you know, it's not that. Just a little question, inquisitive. It's, what? What? Ah, oh, Lord God. And every time you see it in Jeremiah during those four references, you can look them up on your own. It's at a place of exasperation. He's at the end of himself. I've said that many times during my ministry. We're in a situation where you know, I am at the end of myself. Our, our board is at the end of our... We don't know what to do. And we're going, Ah, oh, Lord God, please give us direction. You know, Ezekiel said the same thing. In Ezekiel, in, in the first time you see it, in Ezekiel, in chapter 4, verse 14, it, it, it was at a time when God told Ezekiel, I want you, as a witness to the people, to bake this humble bread over human dung. And he says, Ah, Lord God, <laughs> you know, 
I think I would do. And so God had mercy on him because he didn't, you know, he, Ezekiel was a priest. He didn't want to be defiled. I mean, I mean, this is like the end. I'll eat a salamander before I'll do that, you know. Uh, how, how could you ask me? Oh, Lord God, I've never defiled myself and you're telling me to eat the bread over human dung. You've got to be kidding. And so the Lord said, okay, then you can use cow's dung. <laughs> I remember a time when when um, we were in our early 20s and we were in this youth ministry and we had a job tearing down an old barn for the materials. And so there was a group of us, you know, and uh, so we were there tearing it down and then one day, I mean, the barn was just full of pigeon stuff and everything else and, and uh, like like the third day or so, one of the guys said, hey, I heard that, that pigeon done uh, like explodes, like, like, uh, like, you know, explosives. And, you know, we're so dumb. We go, you're kidding, really? And so we scraped together a coffee can full of pigeon dung. And, and, and so we took it, we covered it, we threw it on the campfire and stepped back because we were expecting a... Well, you know what happened was there was this green smoke that, that came up out of the campfire and just stuck to us. I mean, it just stuck to our clothes. It is the worst smell. And then you say, Ah, oh, Lord God, you know, it's just, just like that. Jeremiah comes to the Lord and goes, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Now what Jeremiah is about to do is in his mind he's saying, I know who you are and I know what you can do. And I know what your testimony is and I know all about it, but I'm just, I don't get it. And here's what he says. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquities of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, the great and mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day, and in Israel and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You've brought this people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a great a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You've given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it. But they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They've done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you've caused all this calamity to come upon them. And then he says, look. Look, the siege mounts. They have come to the city to take it, and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you've said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city's been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. 
I know, God, what you told me to do, but I'm having second thoughts about this. Do you know what's going down? And then in verse 26, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You know, folks, you can rehearse in your prayer all that you know the Lord to be, but the something happens different when the word of the Lord comes to you and it's the Lord speaking to you and saying, Look, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The one thing that resolves those second doubts, those second thoughts over steps of faith is when the Lord comes to you and says, this is what I want you to do. Is there anything too hard for me? I had that life experience back in 1991. There was a church in our area, Calvary, that was just, God was blessing it, and they were outgrowing the school, and they just, I mean, mean, there was no place for them to go. And we were negotiating with the owner of a, of a defunct shopping center uh, to eventually move into that shopping center. And it was about a mile and a half away. And as this brother is talking to me on the phone saying, you know, we, we've gone to this place and that place and the city isn't cooperating and we just can't find a place and we're just outgrowing. People are coming to the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, I want you to give him the connection to the shopping center. Okay. So I said, hey, why don't you call this guy? Because he's got a place that's available right now if you'd like to have it. And so, end of the story, the guy made connection with the owner. He not only leased that shopping center, but he bought the whole block. The only trouble was, I had to go by that place every day going to my office. Both going and coming. And people from our church started going over to that church because it was so exciting. And we went from 400 people down to 180. And I'm a little ticked. And I said, you know, God, I'm going to find a different way to to my office. You know, there's lots of roads. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, no, no, no. I want you to drive by there on purpose, going and coming, and I want you to pray for them. And once a week, I want you to stop in and see how the build-out is going. What? You've got to be kidding me. Don't you know? But you know, it's checkmate. It's kind of like, you know, when you play chess with the Lord, you always lose. (laughs) And so, I said, fine, I'll do it. Great heart. Because I had envy and jealousy. And so, you know, driving by, okay, God, just, just bless them. Just, you know, take care of them, do whatever you gotta do. And then, you know, to, you know, not a real hard fair prayer. 
But then, you know, you, then I had to stop in once a week. Okay, it was that time. Pulled in. Okay, Lord, you got to help me. I go in there, and as soon as I stepped in, it was like exciting. I'm going, this is cool. This is really awesome. This is tremendous. You guys are doing a great job. And then you get back in my car, and I'm going, how come they get all this? And, and, I, and I'm stuck with the remnant. And so months went by. It takes months to build out a shopping center uh, facility, by the way. But it was God's plan to purge my heart of pride, of jealousy, and of envy in ministry. Because at the end of the time when they moved in, it was fine. It was gone. I'm rejoicing with them. I mean, people are coming to the Lord like crazy. And then the reality, what are we going to do? The money drops off. I'm laying off staff. I'm looking at the paper thinking I'm going to have to get a job. Not a real job. I mean, you know, that's a cheap shot for pastors. You know, they come to pastors and says, well, when are you going to get a real job? I know you'd play golf all week and then you just, you know, you have like a couple hours and they pay you good for that, don't they? You know, and it's, it's like, God bless you. Um, <laughs> and so, I didn't know what to do. I, I got alone with the Lord. You know, you rent a Motel 6 room, the cheapest room you can find, and you say, okay, God, I'm taking my watch off. i got to hear from you. i got to know what the next step is, because are we supposed to just fold, fold up? Are we supposed to fold in? I don't know what to do. Oh, Lord God. And so I began to read and to pray, and, and um, I, didn't, I didn't know. I like to write out my prayers to the Lord. It helps me focus. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, where did you start? And we started about eight miles away as a church. And he says, there's no Calvary over there. Why don't you just go start there again? Move the, move the boat. Take the boat, take the ship, move it over there. And it was like the word of the Lord to my heart saying, you know what? It's the right thing to do. But we couldn't get out of our lease. It took a year and a half to move the boat. And my elders said, Bob, we trust you. We trust that God spoke to your heart. We don't understand it, but we'll be supportive of you. And here we go. So it was the hardest time in my ministry. I felt so alone. And I said, Lord, I'm tearing down this whole church because I think I heard from you. But I don't know what to do. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed and just crying because you're at the end of yourself. And there's no answers other than the Lord saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And finally it came time to get out of our lease. Nobody in the fellowship would really commit to moving over eight miles away. I'm thinking, super, I'm starting over. Oh well, God, that's what you told me to do. If everybody jumps off the boat as we move it, you know, mutiny is not my problem, so <laughs> just I'll move it. It's a mandate, I got it. So I moved the boat. 
we found this uh, bankrupt shopping center and we rented a few spaces, built a small sanctuary because I was convinced, you know, nobody was going to come over and so we are going to start over, you know. Made sure we had like month to month so we can get out of a few spaces if things got real bad, you know, real strong in faith. <laughs> and we opened up the first Sunday. I remember it well. First Sunday of June 1992. It was unbelievable. Not only did everybody come over who were on the west side, but all these new families from the east side that, where did they come from? But they were watching what was going on. All of a sudden, you know, we had to go to three services. And then the worship leader moved, and then I had to do worship and teach, which was, um, you know, a real headache for the sound guy because, you know, by the third service, I'm, I'm kind of talking like this, you know. Robert De Niro's my buddy, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, the rest is history. Um, and there's lots of stories. And you have your stories, too. You have those steps of faith that God has, has done in your life. You pastors and, you, and your pastor's wives, you know, you went to that area because you really felt God lead you to go there. You heard the word of the Lord. You knew it. You prayed over it. You prayed over it a lot and, and you, you sacrificed a lot. You may have left your job and everything was great or you took your 401k and you cashed it in and said, okay, I'm doing this. And you get there and you go, okay, God, let's do it. Put out your sign. Nobody shows up except your kids. Your children's, your children's director even grumbles. She's your wife, you know. And, <laughs> and you're thinking... Come on, Lord, you know, you told me, this is, this is you, right? A whole year goes by, you have five people. And you're thinking, God, come on. I made the sacrifice, you come through. Wait a second, it's not about you earning God's blessing. It's about hearing the word of Jesus saying to you, you know, I've got some folks over here that I really care about. I love them. They're my people. But nobody's there to teach them. Would you go and just minister to them for me? Would you teach them? Would you feed them? Would you care for them? Nobody's there. I care about them. And you know, at first you're going, absolutely, I'm there. Absolutely, I'm there. And you go there and you're excited and you're loving on these people. And then you find out sheep bite. And they leave marks, you know. They leave scars. And you go, what's up with that, you know. And you start whipping out your knife and sharpening it. And you're thinking, don't mess with me, you know. And you go, I can't do that. Put it away. But you're called to serve the Lord Jesus. To be faithful. To be faithful until the end. The Lord already is way ahead of you in your ministries. He's way ahead of you. Nothing's too hard for Him. And I know you probably think your ears are full of earwax and you can't hear Him. But God knows what's in your ear. And sometimes it has to do with timing. It has to do with Waiting on the Lord. Sometimes it has to do with what God is doing for the next generation. 
You know, all those lessons of faith that my wife and I went through over the years have trained my sons to walk by faith in ministry. Sometimes the trials that we go through as mom and dad are for the sake of our kids. Because how else are they going to learn to to walk by faith except they watch mom and dad? Or, Or maybe you as a pastor become kind of like a dad to many people who just didn't have a godly father or mother. Even though you don't see success in your minds, you may be tremendously successful in how you're impacting the next generation. And you may not see it till you get to heaven. But man, you've got to press on. You can't stop. You can't give up, throw up your hands and saying, I'm a loser. You know, it, it, you, you can't do that. You've got to go forward. You've got to take fresh steps of faith and not be afraid to take risks. Faith involves risk every time. God will give you enough reason to make it a reasonable faith, but he won't give you so much reason that faith isn't required. Amen? So, so I know a lot of you guys are facing steps of faith. And you're going to have second thoughts when you finally do it. But understand, Jeremiah went through it. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And actually in the Hebrew it's very strong. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is too hard for me. At the end there, we see in chapter 32, God tells Jeremiah in verse 44, Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them, take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, uh, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return. It was for the next generation, but Jeremiah would never see it. Because in a few months he'd be taken down to Egypt, and there he would die. And then chapter 33, we're going to sneak into this very important section. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to, to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, called to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That's God's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. So right now, where you are, I want you to know that God knows the future. And that he doesn't want you to be afraid or dismayed. Because he's with you. And he will see you through it, because he hasn't left you or forsaken you. And it's time to really, while you're up here, to have you and the Lord get together and say, I need to hear from you. Because when you speak to my heart, it settles everything. You can get lots of counsel from a lot of different people, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different directions, but the bottom line has to be, I do what I do because it's the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you know what we go through. You know what our current situation is and you know what the future holds. And by faith we say nothing is too hard for you and we will obey you even though we may not understand all the ramifications. Lord, we want our lives to glorify you. Speak to us, Lord. Minister to us. And we trust you with this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.